The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent we have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay from with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Cilium, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, Go to Siliam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay in my eyes and I washed and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and gained his sight until they summoned his parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledges him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, If he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to believe his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are the man's disciples. You are the, we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to him, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of anyone should open the eyes of the person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. 
They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin. Are, are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that he had thrown him, that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do not see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I just want to say Jesus uh, didn't uh, practice social distancing today, right? He, uh, in fact, he did like the worst thing. He spat on the ground and then, and then rubbed it in somebody's eyes. That just seems like a totally strange thing, right? Um, but it's such a beautiful imagery, right? This, this closeness of Jesus. This closeness where um, that this, this action that we want to say, like, I don't want to do that, uh, is the very action that brings healing. But it's interesting that it's, it's the cooperation of the blind man as well, right? Jesus isn't acting in complete isolation. Um, he does part of it, right? He gives the grace. He he makes alive. He works with his his gifts, the earth's gifts, and puts it on the man's eyes. And then the man's man has to cooperate with that and wash. And it's that dynamic dynamic nature of all of that that brings the healing. I think that's often for ourselves. We we want God to just heal it, right? God, you just do this, but. He works in a dynamic way. Through his own, he certainly works in grace. Through the world, through natural means, and through our cooperation and our will as well. One of the most important ways that he continues uh, to work with us is by disciplining us. Now, discipline we can think of as a child, right? Uh, we can think of discipline, you know, having to sit in the corner or, or different things, but I would say there's two different types of discipline that we, uh, I want to kind of majorly make the distinctions between. One is punishment and one is restorative. So there's two different types of discipline. Um, or you could kind of term it a little bit different, you know, obviously uh, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the words, but two different types of ways of kind of discipline or correcting, right? Um, or correcting or, you know, when somebody does something bad, what you do, punishment, Restorative. Um, punishment uh, is probably the one that we're most, you know, that's kind of our judicial system, right? Our judicial system is more concerned with punishment out of kind of anger. Well, you did this, so the result is you've got to spend five years in prison, right? Uh, it's not really worried about whether the person or it, it's, uh, you know, an action that helps restore the person or restore what was lost in doing it wrong, um, it's more about punishment. This person needs to suffer 
for the action that they did. The other one is restorative. Restorative uh, is less out of anger. It's more about teaching and growing. And I think what's interesting is that sometimes punishments can be restorative and sometimes trying to be restorative can just be punishments. And I think one of the biggest things that kind of is, is is obviously in the person who's, who's giving it, there's an aspect of that. But I think uh, one of the big differences is cooperation, right? You hear about people who go to prison and they do their time and they learn nothing. And then you have other people who go to prison and they learn, right? And they're restored. Um, there's a cooperation that was required in that person to be able to do that. Now, I'd say, uh, you know, we might understand and we say, well, I don't really, I never went to prison. I don't really understand that. Uh, we do understand the difference uh, maybe as a child, right? Where we experience sometimes punishments that we say, well, what's the point of this, right? Sitting in timeout, being grounded. Those are, those are kind of punishments in a way. But there are also good discipline that is restorative. And I think of one that I, I've heard more recently that uh, parents are kind of dealing with is, you know, if a child is biting, you know, you can tell them no, you can, you can do different things. But one of the interesting restorative uh, things uh, that you can do um, to discipline them is actually to bite them back. And then they learn that biting hurts, and so then they stop biting, uh, which is an interesting thing. You know, you think, well, I don't, I don't want to bite my child, right? Uh, but yet it seems to work now. I'm not advocating that. Um, I don't uh, really know. But it's interesting that I've heard multiple situations where that's actually worked, right? Uh, by the very act of, of some sort of discipline that's restorative and tending to correct the wrong that um, actually good comes about. Now, uh, one of the other restorative things that I kind of experienced as a kid, I was thinking about, you know, like, uh, that my parents didn't intend on doing, but, but one of the things as a kid, I, I, uh, I really like chocolate. And we often have like semi-sweet, you know, chocolate um, drops, whatever, you know, that you make for chocolate chip cookies. And uh, that was a, a really good snack. And so we'd often, you know, have some, you know, be up in the cupboard, you'd grab some. Well, uh, sometimes there wasn't any. And so then you'd be like, well, is it somewhere else? And uh, one time I remember I was kind of sneaking through the cabinet, you know, I probably wasn't supposed to be uh, eating the chocolate and there weren't any normal semi-sweet, but I found this other chocolate and I was like, oh, what's that? And so I don't remember exactly whether it was like baking uh, chocolate uh, powder or whether it was, it was, you know, in some drops as well. And I took some and guess what? <laughs> I learned my lesson of trying to sneak through the cabinet and, and try to uh, um, get, um, get chocolate for myself. Of course, that was the only thing that I ever did wrong. I was a perfect kid other than that. Uh, not quite. But I, I thought about that, you know, the way that uh, the punishment of having to eat baking chocolate, which if you've ever had it, is, has no sweetness whatsoever and is really bitter and just terrible. Um, that taught me that, oh yeah, I shouldn't be getting chocolate when I shouldn't be. Um, so it was kind of a restorative thing for me. Now, when we think about God in his discipline, we often think about God in his discipline as kind of uh, more underneath the punishment, right? Uh, fire and brimstone, right? We think of the punishment of hell. But I would say that God disciplines 
and wants all of his discipline to be restorative. Restorative in our cooperation. And we have two of the best examples of restorative discipline, uh, both in the Exodus, which kind of Lent takes a part of, right? 90 days. Um, and, um, and that Exodus is meant to purify. It's meant to purify, to get rid of the gods that they had in Egypt, get rid of their reliance on themselves. And even though that Exodus is a discipline, Exodus in the desert for the Israelites is a difficult time and they suffer and there's pain and there's hunger. But yet in that, God purifies them and brings them closer to himself. And there's a certain discipline in it, but it's a restorative discipline to bring them back to what they should be. Now, once they get to the Holy Land, um, the Promised Land, they do really good, right? They, they build a temple, they, they come to the Lord, right? They worship him. Um, but even in that, they constantly fall away and God has to punish them uh, or discipline them in a res- uh, hoping in a restorative way. And one of the prime examples and one of the hardest examples is the exile, where the Israelites actually turn so far away that God warns them by all the prophets, like, hey, you're going to experience destruction so that you can actually flourish. And so during the exile, literally, Israel is destroyed. Their temple is destroyed, right? So this place of worship for the Lord is destroyed. Uh, the Israelites are, are killed, and a uh, large portion of them are exiled, taken away to a foreign land and separated from God and separated from what they all knew and what God had given them. But it was in that, that destruction, that pain and suffering, that they were purified and able to go back to Israel to prepare for the coming of the Son of of God, right? And so we experience within this that God uh, uses um, suffering and death, these consequences of our sin in the world, um, as restorative. As Jesus says, why was this man born blind? Or he was asked, you know, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus says, it's so that the glory of God might be revealed, right? Might be manifest. And I think about in the same way, right? All this sin and death in the world, all this pain and suffering, It is a consequence of original sin. It's a consequence of the sin in the world. But but it's not a direct, uh, direct of just each individual. We all experience death and sin because of it. Uh, But it can be an opportunity for, for the glory of God to be manifest and for us to be purified. For the blind man, we want to kind of experience the punishment or, um, we want to say um, that uh, the punishment was, you know, on the parents or on this man because of the sin. But we also see that it was a gift because we see that he lost his sight in order to be able to see, be able to manifest God's glory. And the disciples who see don't really see. Now, for the world, with the coronavirus, I think... Uh, you know, one way that we can kind of interpret it, right, is a discipline from God is punishment, right? The world is sin, and so uh, the world is bad, and so 
they need to be disciplined. And God's punishment, right, is his fire and brimstone is coming upon the world in this pandemic. Um, but I, you know, yeah, but I just, you know, I think the better way of looking at it is the restorative, right? As a father who loves us. Yeah, there's a consequence of sin that there's, there's um, sin and death. There's, there's uh, disease and viruses and things that tear down the way that humans are made to flourish. But those aren't, you know, to punish us. They're actually there to restore us, to remind us that we're not God, right? To purify us as a father for the glory of God. And light shines in the darkness. Um, and that we are purified often in that great suffering. And so I uh, just encourage you uh, during this time um, to see what kind of ways that maybe the Lord is purifying you in your life uh, through all the different sufferings and difficulties. What kind of way does God want to bring you closer into relationship with him? Uh, one of the ways is um, by the separation of mass, that God can work all for the good of those who love him, right? We also know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so uh, we want to make sure to remind that, remind ourselves and to be able to be open to what kind of new ways, right? Uh, new ways and new opportunities that God is opening for us. Maybe it's uh, digging out your Bible uh, where you have, maybe it's praying the rosary on a more regular basis or the chaplet of divine mercy, uh, diving more deeply into the many online resources available for your spiritual growth. There's many opportunities during this that without the coronavirus, without this kind of isolation or this difficulty, wouldn't necessarily uh, take a place. So encourage you to see it not out of God's anger, uh, but out of God's desire for us something more. And we see that death is actually um, a gift from God uh, to ultimately have that opportunity for heaven. Within the Mass, uh, just want to offer one sign and symbol for us. At the end of the Eucharistic prayer, there's a doxology, um, which uh, the priest holds up the, I hold up the paten and the chalice, and there's kind of a, a little chanting part that says, Through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And this doxology at the end um, is what is kind of the fulfillment of, of everything of the entire Eucharistic prayer. And a lot of us just, oh, that's the end, now we get to stand back up. But I want us to think about and have an opportunity for that's our opportunity to fully cooperate and unite all of our pain and suffering, everything that we've been praying with during the Eucharistic prayer, and offer that all to the Father through Jesus Christ. Because, um, you know, the Lord is smearing clay on our eyes. Um, he is giving us an opportunity to be purified, but we need to cooperate with that. We need to go wash in the pool of Cilium. We need to unite our prayer to the Father. And so uh, just encourage you during the Mass, uh, during your prayer, uh, to always be cooperating with the grace and the gift that God the Father gives to us, uh, no matter how, what it is, right? Even if it's a discipline that we don't necessarily want, uh, it's all a gift from, the, from God the Father. Um, all things work for the good of those who love him. So 
let us love the Lord this day. Um, let us do what we can and um, offer it all uh, to the Father, back to Him, for the purification of ourselves and for the light of the world.